Coming back and fulfilling some promises. Yes. We are a Riverdale recap podcast, and you might be thinking to yourself, hey, this is a break time. There was no Riverdale this week or even last week. What are you going to talk about? Well, you're correct about that, but uh, we we are still here. That's right. We are here to help you stay engaged, stay hyped, and to uh, deliver, to bring you some of those segments you may have been missing uh, that, that we cut for time the last few weeks, but... We love them. They're dear to us. So you're going to get a few all together. Yeah. So we are starting with some Digest the Digest. That's right. This is when we read a classic Archie strip and we update it to uh, see how we would uh, adapt it to a Riverdale storyline. And we're going to start with Archie's first appearance. This is from a strip just called Archie that appeared in Pep Comics 22 in the year 1941. By Vic Bloom and Bob Montana. Uh, we start where we meet Archie, who looks like Alfalfa. Uh, Alfred E. Newman, maybe. Eh, somewhere in there. All these A people look the same. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, is riding a bike down the street while standing on it, right past his new neighbor, Betty Cooper. Betty moving in to the neighborhood. Yes, like, new neighbor. <laughs> and he's like, hey, I'm Archie, but call me Chick. What? You do not look like a baby bird. No. He's all like trying to impress her. And he's like, hey, you know what? I can walk that fence blindfolded. So I'm going to do that. And she's like, oh, Archie, you're wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, we also meet her father, uh, who is old, like dirt, dirt old. He's old as dirt. He's old as dirt. Yes. Uh, And he's got a picture of uh, him being like. A naval naval officer under Napoleon or something. <laughs> he's serving with Cornwallis, yes. Yeah. And so he's all like, I got this picture and I'm going to move it in myself, moving man, because I don't trust you. And so he's like carrying his picture in and Archie's going down the fence blindfolded and then he trips and he lands with his head through the picture. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Cooper. Oh my goodness. Then he steps on a rake. Mm-hmm. That smashes the moving guy in the head who drops a priceless vase. That explodes into everyone's favorite 80s band from the UK. Wham! Yeah. Uh, and then he is chased down by Mr. Cooper, who seems very much like Mr. Lodge here. <laughs> uh, so then Archie's back at home, and his father's ready to beat the tar out of him mm-hmm. as Archie's shoving a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People in his pants so his butt doesn't get beat. Yeah, a, a butt guard, as you do. Yeah, and uh, Grandpa Andrews is like, hey, son, you know, he's just doing it for the ladies, which, you know, you did too. And he's like, oh, yeah, That's Dad, right. I guess so. guess I, I won't beat my son. <laughs> it's true. I performed so many acts of vandalism and assault in my day. Uh, so then Archie sits down and rips his pants open with the book. Uh, and then we're outside, and we're hanging with Jughead and his overalls and a dog that... <laughs> is, is neither hot dog nor Vegas. Yeah. This is some interloper. I think we're going with Spot or some or Monocle. <laughs> yes. It's got like one... They go and see Betty, who's all like, oh, I know how we can get my dad to like you again. And that's if you 
assist me on working the the taffy booth at the fair because I've only lived here for an hour, but I'm already like working at a fair. <laughs> she moved in on the circus train. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Some, something Cooper this way comes. And Jughead's just like, dude, girls, stop, stay away from them. What are you doing? <laughs> so then we're at the fair, and this man just comes up to little Betty Cooper, and I'm like, stranger danger. <laughs> He's like, hey, kid, I'm in a spot. Uh, my tightrope walker uh, died this morning. <laughs> that had an accident. We all know that means he died. Yeah. Uh, do you, do they you... had not invented airbags. Every accident meant death. Yeah. Do you know anyone that can, like, walk tightropes? And she's like, yeah, my friend Archie, he can do anything because he said so. Great. He's hired. Just bring him to me. How many people did he ask before checking with the taffy pull girl? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the, the ringmaster or... <laughs> right? So Archie gets uh, into this and he wears a very interesting outfit to walk the... Uh, tightrope with it's, a crotch that's down to his knees. Yeah, it's like a red and yellow sort of Flash Gordon jumpsuit, but this this cod piece <laughs> that seems to be for Andre the Giant. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Jughead's down below with a basket, like, I'm gonna catch you if you fall. <laughs> his parents rush, it, rush in, realizing that their child's gonna die. <laughs> and then a butterfly lands on Archie's nose, and he falls. He was doing so well until he was interrupted. Yeah. And then he lands like 500 feet away in the taffy bucket. Yeah, I'm very unclear on on what is inside and what is outside this tent. And I feel like, like, this looks like liquid taffy, like liquid. Like, he just got boiled alive. (laughs) But his foot manages to hit the mechanism, and now taffy's just shooting everywhere. Across the entire fairgrounds, and uh, Betty's father, J.B. Cooper, is very unhappy because his naval uniform is all messed up that he decided to wear to the fair. How shall he ever defeat the Kaiser now? And Jughead and Archie and Not Hot Dog or Vegas take off running and end up in a tree where, like, all the neighborhood dogs and horses (laughs) uh, are just, like, waiting to be able to lick the taffy off them. Mm -hmm. The end. There's a lot of animal stuff in here, and you don't see that from Archie these days. Yeah. There's a whole crowd of wild dogs. There's the butterfly. There's there's an unremarked-on cat in the foreground of, of one of these uh, panels. There's a horse. There's a place to hook up your horse in front of Archie's house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the original Vegas was, uh, was, was the old draft horse that yeah. they <laughs> carted their buggy around. Yeah. That's Archie. How would you Riverdaleify this? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of changes, even between this and what Archie would be two years later, never mind 70. Uh-huh. But I think this works. Uh, this story starts with Hal Cooper moving back in with the family. They've reconciled, or he thinks they have. He still doesn't know anything about Chick. He's expecting Chick to be there. That's why Archie says, call me Chick. He gets uh, a disguise. There's some scheme that he's only seen from behind. He, he dyes his hair. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the, the blindfold is actually on Hal, not Archie. Uh, and and Archie, Archie's plan is to destroy these things so he gets chased out. And then Hal 
doesn't have to find out why Chick really left. He thinks he threw out Chick. Oh. Ha ha ha. Uh-huh. I've turned Riverdale into a, a zany sitcom, but yeah. it works. Yeah. <laughs> but then all these chickens have to come home to roost in the the end of the episode where the Riverdale County Fair is on. Ah. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know it, one of Chick's many side jobs is a tightrope walker. So Archie has to uh, first eliminate him, cause an accident, and second, take his place again Ah. as the tightrope walker, and then fall to his own death, faking his death, Uh so that Hal never has to worry about Chick again. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. What do you think? Okay, so I think... Archie is doing his his mob business for Mr. Lodge, mm-hmm. and he gets shot, <gasps> and he's bleeding out, mm-hmm. and this is his, like, delusional bleeding out <laughs> this, dream. You're just going Jacob's Ladder, the end. Yeah, there's a little bit more to this. Okay. So, okay. like, you know, he's doing all these, these dangerous things. Mm-hmm. What these things are 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 like his his internal struggle, uh, <laughs> you know how how he feels like uh, every everything he's doing mm-hmm. is a tightrope walk. Ah, I see. And uh, that see instead of this being Mr. Coo- Mr. Cooper, it, this is about Mr. Lodge mm-hmm. and him messing up and like how. Oh no, I messed up. I'm dying right now. But if I live, Mr. Lodge is just going to kill me. So the the whole like face through the the framed picture. That's through the Veronica print that or picture that's above uh the the desk. Oh, I was thinking it would it would be a picture of Mr. Lodge and like it's it's a representation of his fear of becoming Hiram. No. Okay. <laughs> no. So like he he's so he's, so instead it's becoming Veronica. Like oh now I'm I'm going to be his child. Yeah. 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 I gotcha. Yeah. You know he he also has a moment where with uh his, you know Fred being very upset with him for going down the path he is and mm-hmm. him wishing that he would have listened to his papa. <laughs> You know how he's pushed Jughead away and he he wishes he would have taken his friend's advice. Mm-hmm. Him reliving the the scene of getting shot and then falling, <laughs> yeah, like slow motion, bleeding out as though he's falling from this tightrope. And what is a, a vat of still cooking uh, taffy, if not sweet water? Huh? huh? That's where he gets shot. Sure, I was just gonna say he landed in a pool of his own blood, but sure. <laughs> Yeah. See, you you know it's uh, his dying hallucinations because Grandpa is there. Yeah. And this is something that apparently runs in the Andrews family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Do you like mine? I like yours yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Did, did you like mine? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm, I like mine better. I'm glad yeah. we enjoy one another's company <laughs> and perspective. So, now it's time to bring one back we haven't done in so long. Because they ran out of major characters, basically. Yeah. But we, we've got one that uh, I think we have just enough to talk about. So, as our Archie Comics expert, dear, uh-huh. why don't you tell me about the, the transition from page to screen of one Midge Clump? Okay, well, she's not a druggie <laughs> in the comic. 
Um, she does date Moose mm-hmm. in the comic. So yeah, let's let's just start. Tell me all all about Midge. Okay, I'd say in the comic, from what I can remember, mm-hmm. that she's just uh, a very friendly person. Uh, she's active in school things. Uh, she does run kind of in the same extended crowd as Betty and Veronica. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends with everyone. Um, she, I guess, kind of controls Moose a bit, like like he's the Hulk, and she has to, <laughs> like, bit. shush him and, like, sing lullabies to him so he, like, calms down and doesn't attack people. Mm-hmm. Um, she's often getting hit on by Reggie, which makes Moose want to go kill him. And so is everybody else. Yeah, yeah. It was revealed in a story in the late 1980s that Midge's parents were getting divorced. Originally, she blamed herself, but Betty convinced her otherwise. Well, there's that. It is implied that due to some counseling, the clumps were resolving their issues, though whether or not the divorce was finalized was not revealed. So we've, we've got uh, the sensible, intelligent, and small counterpoint to Moose's impulsive, dim, and, and giant muscle man. Yeah. So they're, they're sort of yin and yang there. Yeah. Opposites attract. Yeah. Cool. So how do you think that has been maintained or changed when when Midge became a Riverdale character? I think she's been changed a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, li- I like the changes yeah. at first, but like, you know, she's into drugs. She's a <laughs> bit more of a, a, I feel like, party or adventure seeker. Mm-hmm. Um, we have seen everyone but jughead and i think betty do these same drugs though yes well i mean i'm i'm thinking more about how her and moose sought more out though that's true yes yeah to just like go do in the woods and Mm -hmm. not at a party right and moose doesn't have that hulk personality (laughs) so she doesn't have to shush that or anything Mm -hmm. the little bit of interaction we've had with her i think she's kind of still carries that cheery like yeah, go like fun. Like how excited she is at the idea of finding Kevin a boy to smooch. Yeah, yeah. Or like we're going to the movie. You should come with us. We should. Yeah, yeah. You know she's very friendly, eager to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they've added a more illegal side. I guess <laughs> <laughs> she's she's got a little bit of an edge. She's yeah. sort of a, a punk princess. Yeah. Uh, at least that's her costuming in that first appearance. Yes. So what do you think that this opens up? Uh, I like the uh, sense that she isn't just the opposite of Moose. Yeah. All right. The, she seems to be more of an independent person that, that's like a character from the ground up compatible with Moose. Yeah. Rather than just an inversion on all points. Yeah. I, I think she's a fun character that I hope they do stuff with because of this like, like she doesn't fit the perfect schoolgirl thing mm-hmm. but she's also not like a serpent she's kind of like falls in the middle yeah and doesn't like i feel like there's not a place for her not like other people like her right um and i feel like it could open up some fun stories though because she seems like she would be like an instigator in some ways mm-hmm. of like if they wanted to continue on with like a party aspect yeah but I feel like there's other places they could go with it. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like she's the like 
the theater kids I hung out with all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In high school, I feel like that's what she really is. Mm-hmm. Well, would have been like emo back then, but you know, the <laughs> emo punk. We're beyond emos, dear. Yeah, yeah. But that that type of uh, teenager, mm-hmm. I feel like, is what she fits into. No, for sure. I mean, part of this is that even with all the the small appearances she's had, it's not a lot of screen time. No. And it, it's just the mark of a, a strong young actor elevating this kind of blank so far role. Yes. Uh, and that's part of the reason where she could go in practically any direction and it wouldn't feel out of character. Yeah. We, we don't have too much to compare it to yet. No, we don't. But I'd be happy to, to see more. Yes. For sure. I would. That would be cool. I would love it if she became like a second Ethel. You know, another character who we see very rarely, but when we do, bam, you're going to remember it. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more like story involvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be good. So get on it, people who listen to the show. Do it. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Uh, we're probably not going to be able to do that one for a long time again. <laughs> no. No. They have to introduce some char- new characters, and then yeah. we have to read about them. <laughs> one thing I always loved about Midge, and I hope they maintain this in the show, is that she was not interested in Archie. Yeah. Finally, a young woman in this school that's it's like, no, not my type, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Because you know what? That's how it is sometimes. Yeah. 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 This isn't one of our regular segments. Instead, we're borrowing it from one of our uh, off-season specials. Yes. I'm really excited. But I know it's something you were dying to do. Uh Uh-huh. We're going to to dive back into some fan-created content. Yes. Uh, So here is a reading of All the Snakes of the Forest, a, a fanfic. Uh, that I found by searching Riverdale Nana Rose. <laughs> yes. And picking the first one that sounded fun. Uh, so we start with chapter one. <laughs> Before we begin, just a quick introduction to the setting. This is a set on the Blossom Estate when Polly was living there. And this went up uh, just a couple days before the episode with the tree tapping ceremony aired. Mm-hmm. So that's... The backstory, I guess. Yes. Here we go. Chapter one. Even the coffins, Penelope said, are made... (laughs) Are made... I can't do it. Hold on. (laughs) It's too good. (sighs) can do it. Even the coffins, Penelope said, are made on the estate. She looked at Polly and smiled tightly. That's so nice, Polly said. Locally sourced coffins. You have to pick your tree soon, Polly, Clifford put in. I mean, the ones you'll be buried in. Yes, I understood what you mean, Polly said. Cheryl's is this magnificent grove of Japanese maples, Penelope said. Clifford and I both favor the Norway maples, of course, and Jason. They paused in their tour of the estate to to survey a long row of stumps. Only Clifford was unaffected by the sight. Nana began to moan. Penelope took out a handkerchief and dabbed at her eyes. Cheryl looked beautifully anguished, yet fluttered down into place next to one of the stumps and began to stroke it lovingly. Jason was a traditionalist, Penelope said, her voice heavy. At his coffin wood choosing ceremony. (laughs) I think they'd have a name for that. 
when he was four years old. (laughs) I I know it's everyone's mental image right now, but I just want to, yep, four-year-old choosing what wood they want to be buried in. And the... How big is his coffin, by the way? How many trees do you have to cut a row of stumps? He already knew he wanted to be buried in sugar maple, and his dream came true. Her voice cracked, and she began to sob into her handkerchief. Cheryl began to sob into her stump. (laughs) Nana's moans grew louder. Uh. (laughs) The weight of their grief was so enormous that for a moment, Polly almost joined them in solidarity. But then a freezing of irritation broke through her own sorrow. Polly almost mourned the death of the father of her children. (laughs) No, Polly said. No, I'm pretty sure Jason's dream was to live and marry me, not get murdered just so that he could be buried inside his favorite tree. You go, girl. Tag. Tag. Jason had been extremely into nature, though. (laughs) Kind, funny, athletic, and extremely into nature. I have our answer, he told her excitedly one day. We'll run away to a green, verdant place, to a farm. And Polly had said, wait, you know how to farm? And Jason had said a little bit ominously, no, but I'm a blossom. (laughs) The name. We should be able to farm, because blossoms and stuff. It's in my blood. I can be pollinated. (laughs) Oh my god, Polly? Pollinating (laughs) blossoms? Whoa! (laughs) It all comes together. Polly had concluded that maybe he was planning to use his extreme wealth and genetically predetermined dash of sociopathy to set up some kind of scheme involving underpaid day laborers. So she had asked Betty to research the conditions of the modern migrant farmer, and Betty had generously prepared a 43-page paper that Polly had made Jason read in full. Betty just like wrote her thesis for graduate school. <laughs> yes. Before finishing high school. She's iconic. Yeah. So you see, we are not engaging in unfair working practices, Polly had finished when he was done. Jason had looked stumped. Because he really planned on using slaves. <laughs> well, gosh, then I guess I'd better ask Nana what to do, he said. Maybe she can teach me how to curse the land into growing. (laughs) Nana has Chippewa blood, you know. Nana, when Polly had met her, had looked at them both severely. The land will provide without curses, child, she told Jason. For she carries the blood of the blossoms now. And when Hepzibah Blossom fled the witch trials of Salem to come to Riverdale... (laughs) Gravid with child, (laughs) did not the very snakes of the forest provide for her and her two heirs? Yes, Jason said dutifully, but she had the cursed family amulet on her, Nana. That must have helped. They keep talking about curses, but they all seem like really good stuff. (laughs) Right? Like Like fertile land and chasing away snakes? Yeah. Cursed family amulet, Polly said. An item of greatest power, Nana had said, shuddering and drawing her shawl around her. 
Clifford's hidden secret. Oh, but child, you cannot have the amulet from your father simply because you will it. The amulet chooses the blossom it will serve. What? Polly said. That can't be right. (laughs) It is, Jason had said very seriously. (laughs) Nana would... You okay? Yep. You want want me to fit? Yep, go ahead. Nana would know about (laughs) curse amulets. She has swami blood. (laughs) Nana's a get-dang melting pot. Nana has all the blood. And he does not mean in her. He means around her neck in a necklace. She has little vials of blood of everything. Yeah, like that guy selling, I don't know what he's selling on the train all the time. It's supposed to be perfume, but it, it's Is like it? it's like in the oh, um, the bandolier, yeah, yeah, where like it looks like bullets. <laughs> yeah, they unbottle bulk perfume into little things. Hey, darling, what tag tag for breakfast? There was usually a sumptuous feast of maple cured ham, and for lunch there was usually a sumptuous feast of maple cured ham, and for dinner usually another sumptuous feast of maple cured ham. Oh, goody, said Veronica Lodge when Polly and Cheryl had invited her and Betty and their mothers over for the weekend. Maple ham. She ate it very deliberately, like a princess at a state dinner. Betty moved hers around her plate a few times. Polly's mother didn't even look at the ham, just drank a third glass of wine. Veronica's mother was maybe on her fourth or fifth. (laughs) Wine or ham? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hermione just inhales the whole hog. It's like in the cartoons where, like, you stick a fork and it's literally the whole ham on the fork. Yeah, they they almost cast Yakko Warner instead. You know, Polly said slowly, I think the baby would maybe like something a little less hammy. Oh, for dinner we're having maple shrimp. Cheryl said reassuringly. Wait, that means they invited two whole families over for lunch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe breakfast. Oh, hooray, said Polly. You must be craving maple. Blossom children always hunger for maple in the womb. <laughs> Clifford put in, tell me, Polly, do you know the town's history? Why we eat the maple? Why we, <laughs> Why we prize the maple? Blood feud, Sweetwater River, maple money, Veronica recited. Clifford looked cheated. But all three of the Cooper women in unison mouthed, thank you. (laughs) Veronica nodded like this was her due. Tag? Tag. The Blossom Nursery was as large and magnificent as the town hall. It had black wallpaper (laughs) designed to look like maple wood. And an array of blank-eyed porcelain dolls covered nearly every square inch of the room. Okay, we're laughing, but I love this story love so much. So Completely, much. genuinely. Like, this person has nailed they the have. exact aesthetic I want out of every scene with the Blossoms. They have. They yes. have. They can definitely write Blossoms here. This was my favorite, Cheryl gushed, holding up a small porcelain Cheryl. <gasps> and this was Jason's favorite. A small porcelain Jason. Its head was nearly ripped in two. Polly gave a shriek. How do you rip porcelain? (laughs) I don't know how that happened, Cheryl said sadly. I came in here about a week after JJ disappeared and it was just like that. 
About a week, Polly said. She noticed that one of the dolls had pins in it. Who's this? she said, pointing at it. Oh, that's great Uncle Jasper, Cheryl said. He was stabbed 95 times by a leper. (laughs) What? (laughs) And this one? Polly said, pointing at one that was burned. Aunt Veruca, who died in a fire at the insane asylum. And this one? This doll seemed to have been run over by something. Grandmother Arbuthnot Blossom, Cheryl said. A brilliant painter. Her best work hangs above your bed. The giant, splotchy gray thing that looks like 1,000 eyes that follow you across the room, Polly said. She was very disturbed, Grandmother Arbuthnot Blossom, Cheryl said. As soon as she finished painting that, she went out and threw herself in front of a train. (laughs) Wait, hold up. She has two grandmothers with the surname Blossom? Yeah. The family loves incest. Yeah, they (laughs) do. That makes sense. They really do. Tag. Tag. We should have a doll made for you, Polly, Clifford said at dinner that night. Ooh, Polly said. That's so kind. But I'll pass. Are you sure, Penelope said, sounding concerned. They're very nice dolls. Nana makes them now. She has extraordinary doll-making ability. It's her Midwestern blood. (laughs) Now, is the Swami Midwestern? (laughs) Every night at around three in the morning, something roamed the halls of Thornhill. It always wailed desperately until it woke Polly up. At first, she assumed it was one of the Thornhill ghosts. Jason had had a million amusing stories of the Thornhill ghosts trying to push him out of trees and into ravines and appearing over his bedside with knives before Nana wheeled in to chase them away. Nana had the blood of Napoli's ghost hunters. <laughs> in a necklace around her neck. <laughs> But one night, Polly was so fed up with it that she decided to investigate. And that is how she discovered that the ghosts were Cheryl. (gasps) Cheryl was by nature a gothic creature. (laughs) The kind of girl who was violently shaken by her own mother at least four times a week. Who endured long spells of confinement in the Blossom Rose greenhouse every time she ticked her father off. Which was often. And whose sole brother had recently been murdered. So it made some sense that she would be prone to walking at odd hours and wandering the halls like a beautiful, tragic ghost. Still, Polly felt entirely within her rights to say, Cheryl? Cheryl. Oh, Polly, Cheryl said, fluttering around to face her, extending her long white arms in a plea or an an anguished prayer of some kind. It's three in the morning, Polly hissed. Shut up! Tag. Tag. Ooh, that's a good one. That was a good one. This is getting ridiculous, Alice said the next weekend she came over. (laughs) Why are they coming so much? You have to come home. You can't stay in this moldering evil den of sin, Polly. She wasn't wrong, but she had locked Polly up with the Sisters of Quiet Mercy for three months. So, all things considered, Polly didn't feel at all bad when she said, You know, Mother, I think I can stay, actually. It was harder to face Betty's disappointment, because Betty had never let her down. I will come home at some point, Polly said, when all the girls were ensconced in the magnificent maple-paneled Blossom Library. (laughs) They're never going to make syrup. They keep cutting down all their (laughs) trees. 
Cheryl was fluttering around Veronica, who was looking around at the portraits of various dead blossoms and asking about their lives and then looking rather resigned when Cheryl instead described their incredibly macabre deaths. Polly and Betty were supposed to be picking out nursery colors to replace the awful wallpaper, but it wasn't quite going as planned. At some point, Betty said, it was horrible to hear her say it because Betty was Polly's sunshiny younger sister, and now there wasn't even a single hint of sunshine in her voice. And it made Polly angry, not angry at Betty, really, but angry at her mother and at the Blossoms. They hadn't just hurt Jason and banished Polly. Their schemes had leaked over into Betty's life, too, and that was near unforgivable. How are things with Jughead, Polly said, changing the subject in the hopes that it would improve Betty's mood. Did everything work out with his father? Archie Andrews had been yelling about that at the baby shower, and it had made Betty look spooked. Polly's job, as Betty's older sister, was to make sure Betty never had to look like that for long. Polly, Betty said, you heard, right? His father's a serpent, Polly said, picking at the baby blanket Nana had just finished knitting. She was apparently a champion knitter thanks to her Australian blood. You know, those, those Australian. Australian knitting championships? Yeah, yeah, you know. I know, but Betty, I'm not going to hold that against him. That would be like Mom and Dad holding Jason's blossomness against Jason, or the blossoms holding my cooperness against me. Betty broke into a smile then, which was a relief. That was much more like Betty. Tag me. Tag. Strangely, Veronica was a source of zen-like calm when it came to facing the blossoms. If Cheryl hadn't kept inviting her over, Polly would have invited her herself. What's in here, Veronica said one afternoon, stopping in front of a door emblazoned with thorns and maple leaves. Family gun room, Polly reported. (laughs) Don't skip ahead. (laughs) And behind this door? A venomous plant greenhouse, Polly said. And this door? Carnivorous plant greenhouse. (laughs) Oh my god, Veronica said. They've got Audrey too, don't they, girl? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. God, so blossom. Here, Polly felt that she had to defend Jason's family, if only because soon she would be, they would be her child's family, too. They're not all bad, she said. Did you know? They don't just have maple land. They have a big old cornfield just beyond the, beyond the town limits. And at the start of every summer, they host a behind the cornstalks youth party. Veronica took her hand. Polly, she said calmly. Yes? That's the plot of Children of the Corn. (laughs) Dag. Dag. Really, though, it was all going well until the night Clifford tried to kill her. (laughs) Specifically, tried to smother her with a pillow while she slept. Unfortunately for Clifford, it had been yet another sleepless night for Cheryl. The wailing had woken Polly up again, and so Polly had been lying awake in the dark for an hour, willing sleep to return. Sleep didn't return, but the old blossom sociopathy did. This is for the maple, Clifford was hissing as he tried to force the pillow onto Polly's face. For the maple! (laughs) Polly had endured three months in a pregnant girl prison, jumped through a glass window, run through 30 miles of snowy wood, and spent a night in a freezing attic. She was not going to be undone by a pillow. 
She punched Clifford in the jaw. He reeled back, cursing. Polly jumped out of bed, managed to get her feet in her slippers, and ran out to the hall. Yes, let me stop to put my slippers on while I'm being attacked. What if there's another 30 miles of snowy wood? I guess. Maybe it was the half-blossom baby she carried. But right then, she thought like a blossom. Now, a cooper. A cooper would have done the sensible thing and run out of the house into the snow, taking their chances with the elements and trusting that, if they ever found the law, the law would recognize that they were nice middle-class people with good teeth and so vindicate them. (laughs) Hey, uh, you know how fast you were going back there and uh, can I get your dental records? (laughs) But that would not have saved Polly here since running out of the house would only leave her on the Blossom estate and Clifford knew that better than she did. Plus, Clifford owned the local sheriff. So instead, Polly ran to the nursery and rooted through the dolls until she found Clifford's. By then, Clifford was gaining on her, so she darted through a side door and out into another hall and through the billiards room, then down the spiral staircase, then across the ballroom to the main stair. It was Professor Plum in the kitchen. (laughs) At the high landing, she tossed the Clifford doll off. Then she ran down the stair. Clifford, just behind her, tripped, cursed, and fell over the landing just like his doll had. Polly escaped into the snow. At the bend of the driveway, something glittered in the hollows of a very old maple tree. Polly picked it up. Then she heard footsteps behind her. Terrified, thinking it was Clifford, she whirled around. It wasn't Clifford. It was Cheryl in a scanty red silk dressing gown. Oh, Polly, she breathed out. You found it. It called to you. What? Polly said. She looked down at the thing in her hands. The cursed family amulet, Cheryl said breathlessly. Oh, Polly, now we can go anywhere we want. Dang me, dang me, dang me. They could not actually go anywhere, though, because they didn't know if Clifford was dead or alive. If he was dead, then that was manslaughter. Polly, you're too valuably heavy with JJ's children to go to prison, Cheryl murmured. And if he was alive, he had control of Sheriff Keller, so that wasn't much better. Cheryl, though, had blind faith in the amulet. Nana always said that if it chose us, we only had to follow where it glinted. Cheryl said, Nana would know. She has Polish-Canadian blood, so just follow the lights it leaves in the snow. She has all the blood of the world. Yeah, she's she's a regular Red Cross, that Nana Blossom. They did this. They did this all night. By early morning, the amulet had led them to the wrong side of the tracks, to a desolate spot where the only place in sight that might have a telephone or a place to sit or a drink of water was a squalid, dirty-looking bar called the White Worm. The inside was gloomy, the residence foul-smelling. Oh, goodness, hold up now. There, This is, like, very rude. FP smells like lilacs, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. They all can afford some soap. They're <laughs> fine. Yeah, but that doesn't mean Tallboy uses it. Well, he's, like, the one smelling. Yeah. <laughs> one stomped down the stairs the moment they came in, looked at them, and said, Are you kidding me? What is with you kids? Don't you know not to come around to this side of the tracks anymore? For Jason's sake, Polly had been willing to trust in the amulet, but now she felt her faith waver. What's so great about the amulet? Polly whispered. It's cursed, Cheryl said. 
I can see that. I feel cursed, said Polly. It occurred to her that she'd heard the name of the white worm before, from Jason, when he was discussing the serpents, and now the testy serpent who'd come down the stair was bearing down on them. No, Cheryl said, it doesn't curse the bearer, it curses for the bearer. What do you kids want, the serpent said now. He smelled like he'd been pickled in liquor. Not to be accosted by an alcoholic, Polly said with dignity. The serpent rolled his eyes, pulled out a flask, and took a swig. Then he went green, his eyes rolled back in his head for a minute, and he vomited into the snake tank. Oh no! Tag- oh. In the furor that followed, none of the serpents bothered Cheryl and Polly at all. The girls didn't find a clean place to sit, so they sat on the mostly clean billiards table and watched as the serpents thronged around their leader, who was having a hard time keeping his liquor down. Specifically, any time he tried to drink any, his body reacted like he'd been exposed to nerve gas. "'What have you done to me?' he demanded between heaving breaths. "'She cursed you?' Cheryl said, sounding bored. "'Obviously?' Polly did not feel bad about it, since a part of her still assumed that the serpents had been involved in Jason's death. Only now a bigger part of her assumed Clifford was responsible for Jason's death, and it seemed that she might be able to control the serpents now. Cheryl, Polly said, thinking it through, your Nana said something once about an ancestor of yours. Heavy with child, she was expelled from her town, but was cared for by the snakes of the forest. Nana's a very wise woman, Cheryl said. Once you get past the Alzheimer's and the Swedish blood. (laughs) What? What does that mean? So there you have it. The the first chapter of a four-chapter epic. All the snakes of the forest. Mm Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. I want to know what happens. And in the middle of the first season to predict that, yes, Clifford killed Jason, Mm -hmm. but the serpents were still involved. Yeah. That is a called shot. So good on you. Yeah. Yeah. We may come back to this. There's another three chapters to go if we decide. Well, I mean, like, I need to know what happens. (laughs) I need to know. Yeah. So that's our uh, all-segment special. Let us know what you think or or what your favorite things you missed are. Like, if you want to hear us checking in with some of the Instagram teens more, or you you really wonder what our favorite uh, pop culture reference of any given episode was, let, yeah. let, let us know whether that enhances your Sex Archie experience. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of bonus episodes, as soon as it is finished editing, we're going to get that C2E2 recap up for you. Uh, that we will. Had a real good time. Uh, met some, some Archie fans, some Riverdale fans, even got some art that I can't wait to put up in our recording studio. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, our living room. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. Yes. It's a glamorous life. <laughs> But we'll be back with our regularly scheduled program once Riverdale is. And that's this coming week. And it's a musical. Mm -hmm. And and I'm real excited to see how a musical episode is handled when the the executive producer and lead writer is the guy that wrote the book for uh, American Psycho, the musical. Yeah. And it's Carrie, the musical. He also wrote the the screenplay for the Carrie remake with... uh, uh, Chloe Grace oh, Moretz. Yes. Chloe Grace yes. Moretz. 
that's going to be good. Yeah. And while you're looking forward to that, it'd be great if you left us a, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, mm-hmm. uh, Google Play Podcasts, wherever you found us. Mm-hmm. You can also tell a friend. Please, please. You might be one of the lucky few that has our uh, little business card that we were giving away at C2E2. Yeah. <laughs> So tell those friends. So tell those friends. Pass those business cards on. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep circulating the tapes. I I hear that works for some things. Yeah. 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 You can always follow us on Twitter at sex underscore Archie. Yeah. So I guess with that, I'm Elena. I'm Grant. And from us here at Sex Archie. It's her Midwestern blood. Sugar. Ah, honey, honey. You are my candy girl. And you got me rocking you. Break it down, please. Sugar. Please.